0: Corinth, and we read about Corinth in Acts 18, and at the time Paul spent there. So we turn to the second letter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, which reads as follows, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. That he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many thus far. After the proclamation of the gospel, let's sing together from hymn 64, the stanzas 1 and 2. the congregation of our lord and our savior jesus christ as people we all have needs there is not one of us who in one way or another is not needy for example we all need to eat we all need to rest from time to time we all need water and as a matter of fact, it might even be an interesting exercise if after this worship service you were to sit down and make a list of just how many needs you actually have. And it would soon drive home to you the basic point that we are, by nature, a needy people. Oh, And if you really want into the get into the subject, you might want to take a course in psychology And you might want to learn about how psychologists and philosophers throughout the years have dealt with human needs and the different approaches that they take. Some talk about human needs in terms of cakes with different layers. Others talk about human needs in terms of pyramids where you have basic needs on the bottom and escalating needs, they think, as you go up to the top of the pyramid. You can look some of this up on Wikipedia or what have you. However, this afternoon, we are not really going to busy ourselves with cakes or with pyramids. Rather, what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on the Word of God and what it says to us about our human needs. Well, what does it say? Well, you could answer it says many different kinds of things. But surely, one of the most basic messages that we find in Scripture is that we have this fundamental need as human beings for comfort. Now this is a need that you won't find in most psychologists and their teachings, but it is a biblical need, and it is, if you think of it, a real human need, because it's one of those things that makes this life bearable, doable, manageable, possible. In other words, if you take human comfort or comfort out of the equation, this this human life becomes, in a sense, almost unlivable. Very difficult. And so this afternoon, let's reflect on that. And especially on what the Apostle Paul says with regard to this particular matter about one of life's most fundamental needs. And you'll notice he comes to us talking about the God of all comfort, and he deals, first of all, with the source of our comfort, a calling related to our comfort, and finally, our reliance with respect to this comfort. So the God of all comfort, source, calling, and reliance. Well, beloved, there's little doubt that this one basic word, comfort, is one that, that dominates in these opening chapters, of, or this opening chapter of Paul's first or second letter, to the church at Corinth. He uses the word comfort in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Sometimes he even uses it twice, like in verses 4 and and 6. And and you might ask, well, why is Paul kind of fixated? Why is he kind of obsessed with this one word, comfort? Why does he use it so often in these few verses? Well, because Paul is convinced that in so many ways, it's the most beautiful and fitting word. You know, in that word, you find the idea of coming and standing beside someone who is undergoing some kind of trial or, or test. The key is the, the standing beside someone, being near someone, being there for someone to help them. Now, I know some translations have, instead of the word comfort, they use the word encouragement or consolation. And that comes close. However, the English word comfort still, I think, does a better job. It actually comes from the Latin, which means to strengthen much or to make strong. And that's what it does. It depicts someone who comes and stands beside you when you are in trouble and who helps Give you strength, makes you strong. And so it comes to your aid. So here the Apostle Paul is speaking about a most wonderful quality. And notice, he says, it's a quality that helps in, in all kinds of different situations. Paul refers to it as being effective in all our afflictions or in all our troubles. In other words, it has application in situations of sickness loneliness conflict danger disaster even death so it's good for all troubles not just some so no matter what the problem what the sorrow what the distress or the anguish or the hurt this comfort paul says helps it really helps Well, you might ask, well, how is that possible? How can this be? It sounds almost too good to be true. Oh, and it would be, were it not, for comfort's source. For now, look and see that this exquisite quality comes in the first place, Paul says, from God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, comes to the church in Corinth, to the saints spread throughout the province of Achaia, and to us even today, and directs us to that one great ultimate source of comfort. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies or compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Paul makes it very clear thereby that this comfort comes from God. And indeed, there isn't any doubt about it, is there? Paul designates him as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies or compassions, the God of all comfort. All of these are glorious descriptions. Quite simply, he is saying that comforts source its origin. It's fountain, it's inception comes from God. This comfort comes from him and flows from him to us. And now I think, beloved, we need to understand that for many of the Greeks hearing this, for the Gentiles, this took them completely by surprise. If you know something about Greek religion, then you know perhaps that according to the Greeks, the gods are utterly unpredictable, unreliable, capricious, envious, jealous, self-centered. And they're fundamentally indifferent to your human situation. They couldn't care less what you're going through. They're only concerned about themselves. So these gods aren't identified with mercy or comfort. The Greeks would say, we don't think about our gods in those terms. But Paul says, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And the proof You find it everywhere on the pages of Holy Writ. What accounts for the fact that God doesn't write off the human race in the days of Adam and Eve or in the days of Noah? What accounts for his promise to send a Savior for the call of Abraham, for the choosing of Israel, for his inexhaustible patience during the days of the Exodus, the Judges, the Kings and the Prophets? And what accounts for the sending of his son in the fullness of time. For his life and ministry, his death, resurrection and ascension. And what accounts for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those marvelous benefits of adoption and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What accounts for his sustaining presence. And the promise of a future for us filled with life and peace and glory. Beloved, if it were not for the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, none of this would be happening to us. You see, it's his mercy that's at the bottom of our salvation. And it's his comfort that sustains us in all of life situations. Oh, and how often don't we see that as well? You know, you go to the doctor, you get all kinds of tests done, and one day he sits you down and he looks you in the eye and he says, Well, I have some bad news for you. You have cancer. And it's stage four cancer. What happens when you hear that kind of a message from your doctor? The world suddenly caves in around you, and the darkness descends over you like a curtain, and in due time, the tears begin to flow like a river. But then, over time, slowly, you turn more and more to God and you pray to Him what happens when you pray to this God? Little by little, you gather up your strengths, you rediscover hope, and you begin to testify of it to others. You know, your condition may be as bleak as it was that day in the doctor's office, but it doesn't matter. Somewhere from someone, a new confidence flows into your heart and spills over into your soul and comes out on your lips. I would say to you, I've seen that often. I saw it not that long ago when I had to visit Dan Vanderhorst in the hospital. I went to Abbotsford knowing that I would have to comfort him. But lo and behold, it happened again. Instead of me comforting him, he comforted me. So here's a dying man comforts someone and everyone who is living and presumably healthy. How do you, how do you explain that? Paul would say, it's not that hard. You just look at the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort and you have your answer because he comes beside you And he stands beside you and he makes you strong. That's what he does. That's what he's been doing for centuries. Who gave Abraham a backbone? Who gave Joseph hope? Who gave Job strength? Who gave... David, bravery, Jeremiah, courage, Jesus, obedience, who instills such amazing courage into the lives of God's martyrs, and who walks with us through the valley of darkness and the pits of despair. None other than our God. None other than the one who says to us, Call on me, and I will answer you. And none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And none other than the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, Supreme. You see, our God... Is an ever sustaining, supporting, strengthening God. And so I say to you this afternoon turn to Him every day, in all your hardships, in all your sorrows, call on His name. He'll answer you, He'll come. He'll stand beside you, and he will make you strong. And So, beloved, our text talks about the source of our comfort as being none other than the Lord God Almighty. Also, it reveals something you can see as we move on about our calling in all of this. You turn, for example, to verse 4. There Paul writes, Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now take note of an expression here in this verse 4. It's the expression, So that. It expresses purpose or intent or direction. You know, often when troubles come our way, be it in the form of sickness or an accident or floods or illness or financial difficulties or marriage troubles or family issues, we ask the proverbial question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I on the receiving end of all of this misery? What what possible sense does this make? And why in the world is God allowing all of this to happen to me? Now those are admittedly deep and difficult questions. And, and and let's admit it, none of us has all the answers to these questions. But you know, at times we do receive glimmerings or glimpses of why. And you might say, here in our text, we have one of those glimpses. Here Paul says that there's at least one purpose to be discerned in our troubles and in the comfort we receive. And he says that it has everything to do with turning us into comforters. It has to do with turning us into vehicles or instruments of comfort. As Paul writes, the purpose is so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction or trouble with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. So do you hear that? Is the message clear? If God has comforted you, stood beside you, made you strong, then that's not just something to sit on and a saver. Now, that's something, Paul says, that should motivate you to go out there and help others. It should turn you from a comfort receiver or recipient into a comfort dispenser, a comfort giver. Of course, you might want to say, well, that's hard. That's not me. I'm not really made to do that kind of stuff. It's too difficult. Well, that depends. If you think that being a comfort giver means going to somebody and delivering a sermon, well, you can forget it. That's not what we're talking about. It means simply being there for people who are hurting. Extending a helping hand. Saying the odd fitting word as hopefully it comes to you. Supplying a listening ear. Giving a hug. Is that so hard? It's also not so hard if you realize that along with trouble, God always gives comfort too. Isn't that what Paul's referring to in the verses 5 to 7? Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Or as the NIV has it, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. In other words, Paul's saying as Christians, you're going to know suffering. But the same Christ who allows suffering also sends comfort into your life. Overflowing comfort. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings you will also share in our comfort. You see, comfort and sufferings go hand in hand. We experience both. With the one comes the other. For the children of God's suffering is never, ever without comfort. And believe that, beloved. And remind those you are standing beside about that as well. But then realize that along with God giving comfort to us in suffering, he also gives something else. Look at verse 6, the second part. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. When you experience, or which you experience, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What does that mean? Language is a bit cryptic here, right? Well, it's Paul saying that that suffering actually is never without benefit. You know, we we often consider sufferings to be meaningless, useless, senseless. That's our take. But that's not true. Suffering produces something. And Paul says in the life of a Christian, suffering produces something worthwhile. In the life of an unbeliever, it often produces bitterness. Bitterness. But in the life of a believer, it produces endurance. Patient endurance, he calls it. Spiritual muscle, if you like. Staying power. Steadfastness. It produces character. The kind of character that runs deeper. That becomes stronger. That sees better. That understands and realizes more. And that no longer lives life so superficially. One is led to think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 5. We know, he says, the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And so remember, beloved, that as God gives you comfort, and as you give comfort to others, God never allows suffering without comfort, and he never allows suffering to be meaningless or useless. It it works something. It works something in, in terms of that patient endurance, something in terms of, of Perseverance and character and hope. And the hope never disappoints. Now, of course, there may be some who, upon hearing all of this, say to themselves, Well, uh, I'm not buying any of this. There's all a lot of humbug, spiritual Christian humbug. Suffering really is senseless. It really is useless. And and as for Paul, he is nothing more than an armchair theologian. He's sitting probably by a warm fire somewhere while he's writing this, sipping a glass of wine, smoking a cigar, maybe. Out of touch with life, out of tune with its daily struggles. Well, is that true? Is that an accurate assessment of the Apostle Paul and his situation? Well, not if you read on in chapter 1, the verses 8 to 11. From, from these particular verses, we learn that Paul knows a lot about suffering. He writes, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul is talking about here. It could be related to persecution. It could be related to shipwreck or disease. He doesn't get specific. But nevertheless, it's obvious that the apostle has come through a period of great suffering and deep trouble. He talks about hardships, afflictions, despair, even mentions death. And the impression is that at a certain point he had his back against the wall. He didn't know where to turn. It was, everything was a dead-end road. So Paul knows about pressure. He knows about problems and about suffering. He's seen more than his share of it. Read, for example, later on in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, all the things that he experienced, the imprisonments and the whippings and the shipwrecks and the opposition and the hatred. He's not an abstract preacher or an armchair theologian. He knows, too, that there have been suffering. And he says, "This suffering that I endured was not pointless." He says, "But this happened so that we might rely not on ourselves but on God, who raises the dead." And how often don't we do that? How often don't we rely on ourselves? A problem comes along in our life, and we say, "Oh, we can do that. We can fix that. We we can solve that issue. We can we can make it happen." A kind of do-it-yourself spirit lives in all of us. It even lived in Paul. But then God came along and cured him of it. God dropped a, a wake-up call on Paul. And God made Paul realize that in himself he's weak, but it is God. He's always strong. You have that beautiful verse in Philippians 4. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Not in my strength, but in his strength. And so talk about unimaginable power when your reliance is on God. And Paul even adds, For I remind you, this is the God who raises the dead who else can do that who else has that kind of power who else has such a source of might and of transforming amazing indescribable power no one else but our God so talk about someone who, to build your life on. Paul goes on, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Isn't that confident language? Not only has God delivered Paul, but Paul is confident that God is always going to deliver him. Always going to. Give him hope. And beloved, we need to keep that in mind. Paul has this abiding hope and confidence in his God that sustains him. And so, if you ask what else do comfort givers do, they stand beside those who are suffering, they help to make them strong. They remind them that along with suffering comes endurance, and they also dispense lots and lots of hope. Suffering, sickness, and death will not have the last words in this life. Thanks to Him who raises the dead, there is hope. There's a future full of blessing, there's a coming life full of glory. There's an approaching reunion full of surprises. There's a new creation waiting for us to explore and to experience and enjoy. There is so much, much more to come. But how to drive it all home? How to seal the deal, so to speak? How does one convince the suffering of all of this? Well, there's a way, Paul says, and the way is the way of prayer. For it changes hearts and minds and attitudes. And Paul himself, by the way, he he knows that prayer works. He's been on the receiving end of a lot of it throughout his ministry and throughout his journeys. And he speaks even in verse 11 about the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Without these prayers, the outcome would have been so vastly, vastly different. But because of these prayers, Paul has been sustained. And beloved, we have to admit that so often we, we wonder about the power of prayer, don't we? Sometimes people are in dire situations and before we leave we say, well, all we can do for you is pray. And I've heard that expression often, all we can do is pray. How does that strike you? All we can do is pray. It sounds to me, it's kind of lame. At the end of the day when we've exhausted all the other avenues, all the other possibilities, There is one desperate act that remains in our bucket, and that is prayer. And let's hope that works. But that's not, beloved, how Scripture speaks about prayer. Scripture says the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Scripture constantly calls on people to pray to God, He'll hear. He'll help. And so, beloved, as we seek to be there for those who are suffering, do not forget to pray. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that's probably the best thing that you can do for them. Stand beside them, remind them, encourage them, and pray. Pray. Pray for healing if necessary, and if not for healing, then pray for a mighty infusion of hope. And you know, in all the years I've stood at many bedsides, I've seen many people die. And as I reflect on that, there's one thing that strikes me. And it's the fact that I have never come across a believer, a committed child of God, leaving this life full of anguish and despair. I've never seen that. All I've seen is hope and visions of glory And words, an expression of great confidence in the sense of we're going home. Home at last. Home that's better. Better by far. Beloved, thank your God, the God of all mercies and compassion, and the God of all comfort. Amen.